0: What does Motion sound like? With Hands free shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of Motion. Get
1: a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com/socks.
0: Hello and welcome to the Go Gamecocks podcast, presented by the State newspaper. I am your host Greg Hadley and I'm joined by fellow sports reporter Ben Briner. Ben, we are in the busiest time of the year for us.
1: I I hadn't noticed. It's, It's been very relaxing for me. It's been very calm. Nothing. I'm not extremely tired or confused all the time. That's definitely not what's going on. Not at all.
0: Yeah, we got spring football getting started. Men's and women's basketball both entering key stretches and, of course, baseball to cap it all off, just play Clemson. Let's start with the team that has maybe the most drama going on around it. Women's basketball has been holding steady at number one for a while now in cruising, but men's basketball has been on the edge of that bubble discussion for a long time now. This past weekend, they went to Alabama for their last opportunity at a quad one win, which would be extremely important for their NCAA tournament hopes. And they drop a real close one. And yet after that loss, their net, one of the primary evaluation tools that the selection committee uses, doesn't really change that much. And ESPN's Joe Lenardi, their leading bracketologist, actually put South Carolina back in his next four out, you know, among those eight teams that are right on the edge of the field. When we look at South Carolina's resume as a whole, what they were able to do against Alabama, do you think that the chances are still still there, slim, but still there?
1: I mean, the chances are always there because you could always win the SEC tournament. I imagine if they won all the rest of their games up until the SEC title game, depending on what those wins were, there might be a shot. But you're you're basically in the point of sort of like the football team with two games to go was theoretically still bowl eligible. They just had to beat Clemson and Texas A&M. I think they're kind of at that point. They would need to win, you know up into the lower 20s in games, and they need to beat some good teams to do it. Now, that is not an impossible route, and the bubble is a mess, but chances are we'll see, you know, a bid dealer here and there, and, you know, if they're eight spots out at the moment, eight spots out of Dayton, that just doesn't bode particularly well, especially with, uh, as you said, one quad two opportunity and I can't remember what Vanderbilt is. That might also be a quad two opportunity, but no quad one opportunities regardless. And and they missed quite a chance in Tuscaloosa because they staked themselves to a nice little lead. You, you kind of thought that was going to shrink at some point, but just how fast it shrank kind of, you know, put South Carolina in a, a tough spot, especially considering how much they were fouling and how bad their guard defense was.
0: Yeah, the fouls were once again a dominant theme in a South Carolina game this season. It seems like in so many crucial opportunities, the Gamecocks have either shot themselves in the foot with poor foul shooting or gotten themselves in trouble by committing a ton of fouls. Alabama marked the most free throw attempts they've given up this season and the most makes by an opponent. Was that the result of a of an over year defense or not a lot of discipline? What did you see was the problem there?
1: I think a lot of it was their guards were not particularly good in denying penetration, and their big men, their backup big men, were particularly foul-happy. And when you have a situation where Alonzo Frank and Walden Zleweck and Jalen McCreary are, you know, committing a lot of fouls, that's going to get you in trouble. It's interesting because usually Alabama was kind of more of a three-point shooting team, but those guards just got—those are good guards, and they just got downhill on South Carolina— and their one uh, big man who only had full use of one of his hands, he managed to shoot 15 free throws. It was crazy to watch because South Carolina, usually at the very least, is good. All Frank Martin teams are good at getting to the line. This team is not quite as good as some previous ones and is shooting it pretty badly from the line. But in a season where they have been extremely foul prone, to see them not only have, you know, give up the most free throws and makes that they have all season, but to give up you know, six or seven more than their previous high was, was something kind of bonkers to watch.
0: And as we're talking, South Carolina is set to play Mississippi State. But after that, there's the possibility that the Gamecocks could get back one of their key players in, Justin Manaya. Frank Martin was talking about that. You were at the press conference. How key would getting Manaya back be?
1: Well, if they could get him back at full health, he would be enormously key. Because he is a guy who can basically, he kind of unlocks certain kind of lineups they want to do. They can go two wings with him and Keyshawn Bryant at the forward spots along with Mike Kotsar. They can have him instead of Keyshawn Bryant in some of their three-guard lineups, which, you know, he can shoot better than Bryant. Frankly, he can defend the rim better than Bryant and rebound better than Bryant, too. So he would be kind of a major asset if he could come back fully healthy. The problem is he hasn't played in, I want to say, eight games, and he's not going to play in a ninth. So the question is, if he comes back, what is his conditioning like? What is his shooting like? What is his level of play like? I mean, this is a guy you're talking about. He was averaging the most minutes of anyone on that roster before the injury. So if he pops in and suddenly looks like himself, and his shooting wasn't that great early this season, a little bit down, but if he could come in and look like himself, that would be a huge boost. I don't know if it'd be enough boost to, you know, make a difference against a good team in the SEC tournament, but it would definitely make them a formidable a more formidable team. Now, I don't necessarily think that he's gonna come back, you know, a hundred percent because his hand might still be in a cast and, you know, he's been limited. He hasn't shot basketballs in forever. So I don't know what kind of impact he can make and Frankly, I also don't know if, you know, he'll actually be available. He's going to get a cast off, and then they have to kind of assess it.
0: Hey, but as we saw against Alabama, even a player with one hand can make an impact.
1: Well, that was a guy who, I think, taught himself to shoot free throws with his off hand. That was a very strange outcome. But, you know, it it couldn't hurt. He can can probably still sort of grab rebounds with that. (laughs)
0: I mean, that's one of those last few hopes you're holding on to, especially as you have said, they need to make a run in the SEC tournament to play themselves into that conversation.
1: That they do. And they probably need to win against a pretty good Mississippi State team at home on Tuesday, and that is going to be no easy feat. Now, since we're talking about basketball, the team you covered, uh, I don't know, just finished up a perfect SEC regular season and is rolling as the number one team in the country. So, what do you kind of see from this group as it sort of turns from that kind of regular season mindset into the tournament that they like to win but don't necessarily need to win and then toward the, the tournament that actually really counts?
0: Yeah, I mean, like I said at the outside of the show, this has been a team that has been so dominant. It's almost, you know, made it hard to talk about just because they've been consistently rolling over opponents. They had that UConn win, which was a momentous one for the program. But finishing off a 16-0 and season... It's only been done, I think, four times since the SEC moved to 16 games. They set the program record for most regular season wins, and they did it with their 12th-ranked win of the season against Texas A&M. The game itself, I wrote about this, wasn't particularly nice to watch. The Gamecocks had their lowest scoring output in a win all season. They shot the ball very poorly. They got a lot of help from Texas A&M shooting the ball even worse somehow but the fact that they were able to overcome an off night like that and still win speaks a lot to this team's overall solidness and depth and consistency and that was uh, don staley made a big deal about that is that it's so normal for coaches to come into games worrying, you know, about how their team's going to play, which player's going to show up, which player's going to have an off night and that hasn't really happened this year. I mean, everything she said this year has been about kind of being being surprised by this team. When you're relying on so many freshmen, you expect more inconsistency, and they haven't had that, and it's made it a truly special season for the Gamecocks. As we look forward in March, this is where things get more high pressure. On one hand, we've seen 30 games of evidence that high pressure situations don't seem to get to these freshmen in particular all that much, but it is going to be another level. Uh, There's no denying it. And that SEC tournament, like you said, they don't need to win it. They could probably lose in the first round and still be a number one seed in their preferred region, which is Greenville, South Carolina. But they probably want to get a little redemption after losing in the quarterfinals last year to Arkansas. That was kind of a a stunning loss, honestly. And I'm sure they don't want to see that happen. Right now they're set up to play the winner of Alabama-Georgia, which are two teams that, especially Alabama, has come alive as of late. So I think they're going to have, you know, some decent trouble, and if they meet Mississippi State in the championship, that'll be another great game, seeing as, seen as they, they've already played one really close game earlier this year. So the SEC tournament is, like you said, not going to in the long trajectory of it all. You know, if they make the Final Four, no one's going to really be too worried that they didn't maybe win the SEC tournament, but from a pride standpoint, I'm sure Don Staley and the rest of the squad wants to win this one.
1: Now, South Carolina, not so long ago, had a one-loss regular season, won the conference tournament, kind of went on not exactly a similar run. And that was 2015-16 that, you know, ended with a halt and an upset from Syracuse in the NCAA tournament. Do you think that this team kind of might have a trip up in it? And is there some sense for you that, you know, sometimes a team needs, you know, one or two bad games just to kind of get them out of the way and get them a little more refocused? It's an interesting concept. And
0: you know, sometimes you think maybe it's just a media narrative that, oh, you know, you need to get the bad loss out of their system, so to speak. I'm not so sure that that's going to be the case, especially because they've played poorly at certain points in the season. For instance, this past Sunday against Texas A&M, that was a bad game by their standards. So you could argue, yeah, they got a really bad loss out of their system, but they just managed to still somehow still fight through and win. They've also gotten, a, you know, some experience playing from behind, playing in deficits. They did it against Mississippi State. They did lose to Indiana. The interesting thing about that 2015-16 team was that it was loaded full of veterans, players like Tiffany Mitchell, Kadiza Sessions, Tina Roy, Asia Dozier, all these upperclassmen players that I, I remember talking to Kadisha Sessions once, and she said that she thought that 2015-16 team may have even been better than the 14-15 team that made the Final Four. So... On one hand, you say a team even that good, right? It just goes to show that uh, at any moment, you know, this team could slip up. There's no denying it. At the same time, you do wonder, though, maybe if the freshmen, you know, don't have the years of success and, you know, maybe maybe overconfidence that they might be still be hungry and they miss, might be the year where they're able to not get ahead of themselves. That's really what I think might be the
1: biggest issue. Do you think there's kind of a redemption factor, something that Don is sort of going to— prod her team with looking back to that Arkansas game last year with you know just kind of the prep for Greenville
0: I think there definitely could be you know they've played it two different ways this year sometimes you know when they talk about thinking about last year they they say oh well this is a different team this is move on which is fairly standard for teams to say but Dawn also talked about that you know they were pretty emotionally hyped up for for UConn and it didn't mean a lot to them to you know in the context of the history of the entire rivalry to finally get that win so in that sense, I think it could mean a lot, but at the same time, I mean, it, it is a very different team. They do have a lot of, uh, you know, a different set of expectations, and I mean, they've made it pretty clear after winning the SEC regular season title that that wasn't their main goal. It was nice, but it wasn't their main goal, and they didn't seem to get too overhyped about that. So I would anticipate maybe them approaching the SEC tournament the same way. Honestly, right now, I think the most important thing for them is some rest, You're seeing the freshmen play more basketball than they they ever did in high school. You know, the season's just a lot longer. So it's pretty normal for first-year players to hit something of a wall at this point in the year, or maybe even a little earlier. They've managed to avoid that. they got enough depth to share a lot of minutes. But we'll see. You know, they're going to have a few days off in between Texas A&M and the quarterfinals on Friday. And uh, hopefully, if you're a Gamecocks fan, they can use that time to rest up a lot.
1: Hey there. Like what you hear? Good news. You can help ensure the state continues making journalism you love to read, watch, and listen to. If you're more into sports than news, you'd probably like our Sports Pass membership, which gives you access to unlimited sports coverage for just $30 for the first year. Subscribe to Sports Pass at thestate.com slash sportspass. You can also read more Gamecocks news by downloading the Go Gamecocks app or by signing up for our newsletter at thestate.com newsletters. Thanks for supporting local journalism. Now, back to today's episode.
0: And let's finish off with some football talk there, just getting through the first few spring practices under the new offensive coordinator, Mike Bobo. Uh, and just recently, Ben, we got the first time to talk to freshman, or I guess now sophomore quarterback Ryan Holinsky. Uh, what were your first impressions from hearing him talk, and what he had to say about the new offense that South Carolina's installing?
1: Well, talking to Ryan Helinski, I think we kind of got a reminder of sort of the personality that Ryan Helinski is. He's an upbeat, friendly kid, and he's going to kind of approach all of this with a sort of energy and, as, as I said, kind of friendliness about it. He said he was kind of as excited about the new offense, was learning some of the ins and outs, some of the finer points was just, you know, everyone's competing, everyone's developing. He um, he definitely talks like a quarterback, if that makes any sense. He, he definitely sort of has that kind of share credit, accept blame sort of approach and kind of mindset. And I thought it was it was interesting that, you know, he someone asked him about his, his knee situation and he sort of shied away from any details about that. That obviously was a little bit of a, a kerfuffle during the offseason. season. And I think it'll be interesting to watch him sort of compete, especially because, you know, right now he's only going against Luke Doty and Jay Urich, and Jay Urich I don't think is going to be much of a factor. Maybe he will be, I don't know, but at the moment it doesn't seem like he's going to be a ton of a factor. And Colin Hill, who's probably going to be at worst the backup and is going to give him a run for his money, is still, you know, standing on the sidelines after ACL surgery. So I did think it was a little interesting that Will champ pointed out that, you know, said that he'd been throwing exceptionally well early on and that he's pl- and he's practicing without a brace. So that at least says that, you know, some of the issues from last year have, have kind of been put behind him.
0: And of course, one of the big issues for him last year was getting hit around a lot, a lot of protection issues along the front line. They're shuffling through some changes there and we got a little bit of insight into maybe where the center of the line stands.
1: We did. So coming into spring, sort of the expectation was a couple of unproven or lightly proven guys in Hank Manos and Vincent Murphy, both recruited centers were going to be sort of the main candidates. At least that's the way it sort of seemed. Now it turns out that, you know, through the first few days of practice, Eric Douglas, who's the team's utility lineman, has been getting most of the snaps at center. That's not so unusual because Douglas has gotten backup center work before uh, some last spring, but I think it's pretty interesting because he's a guy who has long been someone that Eric Wolford trusts. He can back up both tackle, both guard spots, and play center. And he started the opener last season, won a job, and then immediately got benched after one game due to not particularly good play. So it'll be interesting to see if, you know, they hit the reset button and he gets another chance there. And it's also interesting because that spot is relatively unsettled, and then you kind of look outside, outside of Dylan Wanham, they're going to need another tackle with Sidarius Hutcherson moving in, pushing Jordan Rhodes to the bench. And I'll be interested to see, you know, who kind of emerges. They've got Ja'Kai Moore, they've got Jalen Nichols, they've got Justin Turrentine, whose name I probably just bungled particularly badly. But those three guys are going to be fighting for at least one job, and Wanham, you know, out after hip surgery at the moment, could he get pushed a little bit? Maybe. That might be interesting. It's been an interesting beginning to spring because we've not heard a ton of details. champ seems to like his weak side linebackers. I believe he said the punting situation won't be anywhere close to done until the fall. He couldn't say that freshman Kai Kroger is coming in during the summer, but that's mostly why. And, you know, it's, it's been interesting to hear some of the kind of odds and ends to Karrion Joyner settling in the slot receiver position. So I'll be interested to see kind of when we get more practice availabilities, if there's any kind of openings that anyone shows, and any other nuggets that the coaches kind of drop there for us.
0: You mentioned to carry on Joyner at receiver. Will Muschamp also said at one point that receiver was maybe the position where he had a lot of questions at. Uh, do you see that as the most unsettled position going in through the spring?
1: I think I do because it's a position where you need more guys and you have more questions. I mean, running back, you've got a freshman you think is good, and a couple of younger players who. Probably be decent. Plus a JUCO kid, he's not here yet, but they will have him. Offensive line, you know something. Quarterback, you know something. Tight end, you at least have Nick Muse. But receiver, it's just it's kind of wide open. Xavier Leggett played last year, didn't really produce. Shai Smith is sort of your only known quantity there. Orfei Smith might be good, but he still had that injury that made him particularly ineffective last season. Josh Van dropped a lot of balls last season. I think they've got some interesting pieces. But, you know, some of those guys who didn't play last season, your Tyquan Johnsons, they're going to have to step up. They're going to have to actually deliver. And to this point, we haven't gotten a ton of sense how things stand there other than a few flash plays from Dakarian, which would be good and it would be interesting to see if he ends up being a guy who sort of asserts himself as a slot receiver, maybe a starting quality slot receiver. But I think we're a long way from that at this juncture.
0: All right. We'll have more coverage of both basketball teams as we move deeper into March and, of course. More spring football coverage as that proceeds as well. Thanks for listening, and please remember to subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts.